This is the 200 Churches Podcast, episode 375. But I faced the same things where I thought our church was on a certain page, and with the Trump era, and with COVID, and masks, I mean, we were very, we we took very strong precautions, followed uh, regulations, believed we were supposed to serve others. Uh, We don't believe in conspiracy theories, or at least I thought we didn't. But I was amazed at how many people within my church still were being influenced more by Tucker Carlson than they were by the pastors in their life. And so I've dealt with a little bit of that alienation. It wasn't a lot of people, but enough people that made me question, wow, you know, what what do I need to be preaching on here and teaching on? What kind of authority do I have as a leader in this church? Welcome to the 200 Churches Podcast, where every Wednesday we produce a legit episode of ministry encouragement for pastors of small churches. Now, here are two guys who have been encouraging thousands of pastors all around the world, good friends, pastors, and podcast partners, Jeff and Johnny. Thanks for listening to the 200 Churches Podcast. My name is Johnny. I'm here in the digital sound studio, which is as opulent and luxurious as a digital studio can be, I think. And uh, I'm joined here by my my friend, my colleague, my uh, silver-haired father figure. Go ahead, Johnny. My name? Oh, I have to say your name now. You don't even say your Jeff Katie. Well, thank you. Why do you say both names now? Okay, Don't I ever and get then to see my name, and then a man who a man who I've never seen before, so I can't speak to his physical appearance, but he sounds like he sounds like a very handsome guy, Doug Bursch. Doug, thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me on. But wait, you skipped right over me. I'm the co-host, and I just get skipped right over. You made me say your name, so I moved on. I said Jeff, Katie. Well, and I moved like on. the only thing about me is my name, Johnny. I see how it is. I said you were a silver hair father figure. I mean, that's when you like, have 150 on. of the 200 churches now. I've only got 50. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Johnny, this is going to be a mediation of some sort. Am yeah, I supposed for to coming to our squabble, Doug? Was we were very hoping, nice. Doug, that you know. Well, I, I've actually met Doug. Doug, did I meet you in the Great Northwest? Yes, you did. I think it was at a small church conference, or what I like to call normal-sized church conference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. We had we had a conversation. I remember that. That was good. I think my wife had a baby while you guys were doing that. So congratulations. That that could be. That could be. But finally, Doug. Finally, after all these years, we finally get you on the podcast. Yeah. And why am I being congratulated for your wife having a baby? I, I, don't, I don't quite understand that, but I'm you're welcome. She was, she was bringing life into the world okay. while you guys were right. glad handing in P- Portland, Oregon or somewhere yes. like, come yes. on. And I, and I was there a supportive figure, you know, really like the doula. Um, she would, she would <laughs> probably doula. deny that categorically. <laughs> She'd say you were sleeping. Yes, what she you were would. Doing. Yeah. The doula. Uh. <laughs> Okay, so Doug Bursch, introduce yourself to our listeners, my friend. Oh, I don't know. What do people want to know about me? I'll do one of those really long introductions that bores everyone. No, I pastor a church, been doing that for about 23 years. Also write a bit, a couple books, and then guest speak, although in the last couple of years that really hasn't been happening much. Sure. And then, you know, I love my family, my four kids, and just trying to make it through life. Where are you at, Doug? I am in the Seattle area, somewhere between Seattle and Tacoma in the fill of communities that exist up here. 23 years up there in Seattle area. Doug, I don't want to like, we are going to talk about like online vitriol with you. So maybe it's somewhat uh, appropriate, but I listened to the whole rise and fall of Mars Hill Church podcast. Uh, 23 years in Seattle, you lived through the whole rise and fall of Mars Hill Church. I mean, what, uh, I don't know what my, I think my biggest question is what, 
did that just feel like um, bizarre to be adjacent mm-hmm. to as that was, was it just like sucking all the air out of every church conversation the whole time that it was going on? Well, uh, no, it wasn't. Cause often churchy stuff just, you know, it's very important to people within the church, but outside the walls, people have no idea. And particularly in the mm-hmm. Northwest, uh, churches aren't really talking a lot about each other, but uh, it was interesting with that podcast. Uh, we could probably do a whole episode on this because I was on the radio at the time and I talked about it, and I talked about my problems with Mark uh, Driscoll, and particularly the struggles. So it was interesting to see how it was presented through uh, the podcast, and how that reflected in some ways, and, and not in other ways, the experience we went through. The biggest thing with Mark is just he, uh, you know, his character, unapologetic, and then the leaders around him. That was a big issue. Uh, the fact that he just a leader after leader after leader. Uh, there was a problem. And that to me is always a problem in leadership. Besides all the other things, his theology and the way he communicates, the very fact that the people who are closest to you are hurt by you, and not just one person, but many people and an unrepentant attitude. So that was the part that I kind of focused in on. Part of me, though, this podcast kind of struggled with, it's good to talk about these issues, but then we kind of also centered Mark again. And I don't know if that's the best thing as well. You know, how do you talk about problems, but not give someone a greater platform? Hmm, That's a we could do a whole episode just on that. That's that's very insightful. I think there was it was a it was a really helpful podcast in so many ways and yet I every single episode I think I walked away with some some struggle of the way that maybe um so production choices I might say. And I'm not talking about music, <laughs> but just like the the way the narrative was built sometimes. Um I get it. It's Christianity today, right? Um and it's funny that I'm going to say this to you as we're about to talk about being gracious, you know, on social media, but sometimes I felt like it was maybe too gracious. Like it, it was looking for good in the midst of so much hurt um, to the point where sometimes I almost felt like they made the mistake of erasing some of the hurt uh, in the, in this, you know, service of being able to say, but look, something positive happened. So anyway, yeah, you know, I didn't listen to all of it, but this is always a struggle of uh, I, I'm sure those critiques are justified. I think the problem with peacemaking uh, is that usually you satisfy no one. All sides are upset. Mm. So I think that's always the struggle. And I'm again, I'm not saying that that was the goal of the podcast, but you either kind of work on one side or the other side. If you're somewhere in the middle, you basically offend everyone. So I don't think there's any way to good way or you know non-controversial way to talk about controversy, especially online or through podcasts and things like that. That's well said. I think that's well said. So I'll stop talking about it now. So so I don't just get myself in trouble. As usually happens when I start talking about current events around here, Jeff. So, Doug, you wrote a book. Uh, I think it's your most recent book. I could be wrong. Uh, and it, it's, I guess the way I've been talking about it to you is is uh, how we can have better, uh, you know, um, approaches to social media. It's called Posting Peace. Uh, and, and I'm just interested to hear what what kind of like made you want to write this book? This might be too hard of a question or too forward of a question, but why are you the right person to write the book? So what made you want to write hmm. it? And then why are you the person to write it? Well, you know, as a former radio host, I I have the gift of having an opinion about anything, even if I know nothing about it. So, hey, man, uh, man, but man. that's not, you know, the reality is uh, it, the full title of the book, because of course people want to run out and buy it, is Posting Peace, Why Social Media Divides Us and What We Can Do About It. Uh, for me, I was struggling with that problem everyone's struggling with, right? The concept of it just seems like our online world is becoming more divisive. But I don't want to just catalog that. I want to kind of see why does it do that. So in my doctoral work, this gives me some uh, level of expertise. I spent my full energy on my doctoral project looking into 
social media, technology, how technology influences our messaging, and then also from a Christian perspective, how reconciliation fits into that. So uh, the book is not like a how-to in this sense, because I don't like it when pastors just tell you how to live your life. I don't want to be an intermediary. I don't want to say, this is how much you should tweet, and this is what you should tweet. I I don't want to be a tone policer or even a topic policer, but I do want people to ask questions about what they're doing doing and why they're doing it. So that's basically why I did that. There's lots of research on how social media influences our messaging, causes conflict. And then, you know, from a theological perspective, how do we make sure our values, our spiritual values are being reflected online? Or are they being distorted by the technology itself? Doug, you talk about how the the internet itself and the uh, the machine of social media actually changes us. And uh, how that it's really, at one point you said, um, it's not that that people are so bad. It's what social media does to people. Mm. And what what did you find in your research in that area? Well, that's one of the main themes of the book. And uh, there was a technological theorist by the name of Marshall McLuhan. He was primarily, you know, extremely popular in the late 1970s. But I, I like theorists who their their theories last more than five years. And so I was interested about his views on technology. And one of the things he said, which many people have heard this, is the medium is the message. And what that means is any media we use influences our messaging, uh, whether it was radio, television, the printing press, uh, and now social media, it influences what we communicate and how we communicate. And many of the strengths of the medium also become the weakness. Hmm. And and there's so many ways you can look at that. One of the, the biggest things with social media, obviously, it's this disembodied environment. Uh, we're not in person with each other, yet we're dealing with all these relational conflicts. We can't see eye contact. We can't get uh, you know, intonations. I even looked at some studies about empathy. In general, as humans, we learn empathy through facial expressions, through being present with someone and just seeing their face, seeing their eyes, seeing their body. And I think you can all remember a time, maybe when you were a kid and you said something you shouldn't have to someone and you just saw them change in their posture. Well, we don't see that online, right? We just see words often when we're arguing. And the the ability for empathy even to rise up in us often has to do with what we see visually. And what happens when you're mad at someone is you just assume they're angry and snarling at you and have that face of just judgment. And so we write back accordingly. We don't know if this person's sad, happy, confused, scared, inquisitive. None of that's there. And what happens is we tend to assume the worst. So all those kinds of things, the very fact that, you know, our brain, different parts of our brain are used when we do different activities. Most of our fighting online is through written communication and it gets longer and longer writing. Like, you know, Facebook, the more people argue, the longer the writing gets, right? Well, that when we read something, it only uses a certain part of our brain and it cuts us off from other parts of our brain for big picture thinking, emotional connection. And so even that fact that we're arguing really important points just through written communication, without seeing people's eye contact, without using kind of the full expression of our brain, it influences where these debates go and why they become more argumentative, why they become more depersonalizing and dehumanizing. So that's the kind of stuff, and there's many other issues for that, that happens when we begin to exist in an online forum. So Doug, you say that we use a part of our brain for reading. We just use one part of our brain. Did you happen to find out what other things do we use that part of our brain for? 
Well, by the way, I want to be careful that I don't get too deep into this. The concept to me is just general things because the brain is more than just right brain, left brain. I talk a little bit about that, but that's too simplistic. There's all kinds of aspects of the brain that function. But to me, the idea is just the visual world is different than the written world. I'll give an example of this with texting, texting back and forth to someone. If they think I'm upset with them, uh, they just begin to read it through that. They they don't have a larger context. So sometimes yeah. when I see there's a lack of understanding, I'll just send a picture of myself smiling, which seems really odd, right? <laughs> but just by sending a picture of myself smiling, they know, oh, it brings in another part of their brain. So wh- whatever parts of the brain, it just... The goal is the more we can give a larger picture, the more we can give qualifiers of, which seems so like, I don't want to have to do this, but you actually have to do this to put a qualifier of, I am not upset, you know, not as a gaslighting. We have emojis. Yeah, right. right. But even emojis don't show, you know, that deeper, at least with intuitive people, emotionally intuitive people, when you see someone's shoulders just go down and they look hurt, that's not the time you attack them. Now, if they're ready to punch you, maybe you punch back, but- those sorts of things we miss online. So your picture of yourself is like the ultimate emoji. <laughs> well, it's me. Because literally <laughs> like in our church, you know, I pastor a church and I tell the church, we do not deal with conflict first through emails or text mm. because there's just less social cues. We do positive things, encouraging things, you know, announcements. But even in this interview, right, I can tell by your vocal in- intonations at some level, unless you're a great liar, how we're existing together, right? If that's not there, and online we're doing, some people, that's my church, that's my community. Well, we have a very limited scope of really seeing a person uh, in that context. And and so those issues, I don't think we take seriously enough. Christians kind of go, you know, the truth is the truth, and I'm going to share it online just as I share it from the pulpit or I share it with my friend. But it's not coming across in the same way. Um, so this is, you know, the struggle I think we're all having. Do you think there's also an element of this where we are talking to each other about things online that we would very rarely talk to, like, basically strangers about Mm. in person? I mean, I talk to Jeff about very important world events. Jeff is a very close friend of mine, but I don't talk to uh, the average attender of my church, if you're a pastor listening, or I don't talk to my second cousin about uh, pressing like political and world issues. Do you think just even the terms of the conversation have become unrealistic that we would be able to talk about important things with this broad of an audience? Yeah, you know, it's a great question. And, and what tends to happen is we are speaking generally to everyone or no one in particular. Mm. And that creates a form of communication that's very similar to advertising. You know, just general statements about what I believe, general doctrinal. And then we unite with people around those statements, those doctrines, those dogmas, but it's not relational. Because what you're saying here is, why did we limit what we say to different people? Well, it's relational, right? Based on the trust, based on what kind of relationship I want to have with this person. What I want them to know about me often determines uh, how we're going to move forward. And once I share this information, this will influence how they relate with me. So because we're not building relationships online, and this is one of the biggest things I talk about, the concept of networked individualism. Uh, There's two scholars, Ramey and Wellman, I think they worked for Pew Research, and they said the strength of the internet is I can basically 
do networked individualism. I can just Google anything to meet my individual needs, right? I care about Star Wars, so I search Star Wars and I find a community that's all interested in Star Wars. I, I, I've been in, there's strength to this, you know, I've been abused by a church, so I find other people have been abused by a church and I gather with them. But the problem with networked individualism is we begin to just use social media for our personal needs. It's just purely as much as this meets my needs. And the moment that community doesn't meet my needs, the moment a person doesn't meet my needs, what do I do? I just leave them. I block them. I mute them. I find someone else who meets my needs. In that context, what we communicate is very different. Now, if I'm trying to build relationship then it's about understanding the other person. It's about trying to figure out who they are and who I am and how we can partner together in some collaborative way. That's just not about me, but about us. And this is probably one of the biggest problems with doing religion online. Seldom is it about building a holistic, diverse community. It's often about uniting around personal issues that are important but as much as we unite on that issue, we're together. The moment conflict occurs, we fracture and break up and become something else. So this issue about what we communicate and why we communicate has a lot to do with, are we trying to build relationships? Or are we just trying to have people generally know who we are and seeing who will unite with us in our general perspectives of the world? Doug, how did you use social media uh, during 2020, during the pandemic, during the you know 2020 campaign, during the you know all this misinformation and disinformation going around. How have you utilized social media through that? Well, you know, sometimes I feel like poorly. I just don't even know what to do. You just but put you wrote the book though. Right. Well, here's the point. And and any man or woman who comes in and says, do it this way and I know how to do it is lying to you. Uh to me, we have to ask ourselves these questions. So you know, the book again is, and I, I just have no desire for someone to come tell me like, here's the three things you should do. Are the people like, you know, just get offline altogether and leave it. And I, everybody has different lives, different perspectives, different callings, uh, different boundaries. So for me though, I had to look at intentions. For me, I believe that Christians have been given the ministry of reconciliation. That's the goal that anything I communicate is to hopefully bring people closer to God and to break down any dividing walls of hostility that exist between each other. So if I communicate truth online, the goal is not to communicate so I win and you lose, mm -hmm. so that the choir agrees with me and you go home sad. It's that I want to bring you into the light. I want you to draw closer to God. I want us to draw closer together. The, the message of reconciliation is that I communicate because I love you. And what we're seeing online is we're, we're using tactics, let's say like partisan tactics. Everyone's political. It's not wrong being political. But partisanship goes like this. I want my side to win, your side to lose. This is my America, not your America. And it's not about bringing people into the light. It's not about I love people who are different from me. And the reason I'm talking about this issue it's because I care about them. Christians have not been distinguishing these two realities. And so they're sharing truth and their opinions, and they're saying it strongly. But I have to ask them, and only they can tell me this, is the motivation of your heart to genuinely communicate in a way that that person comes closer to God, and that also you and that person, any dividing walls of hostility are removed? That's how I've tried to deal with the last two years when I communicate about the things that make me angry, when I, the injustices that exist in the world, that I'm still supposed to communicate in a way that I'm trying to build a relationship that someone knows I love them 
and that out of love, I'm communicating this, hopefully for the purpose of them growing in understanding truth and understanding God. I like that. I certainly have not always done that. Jeff <laughs> Jeff could Jeff could speak to that. Uh, I have not always done that. And and yet even in times where I think I have attempted to do that, I, it still hasn't gone very well for me. Uh, Doug, it still has left me in a posture of people specifically, you know, as a pastor and then people in your church. If you reveal, I think, anything about your um, political opinions, no matter how it's revealed, it will not be received well in this partisan environment that we occupy. Do you, I mean, what do you make of that statement? Do you agree with that? Do you disagree with that? Is there, do you just say well, yeah. on all things political? No, and, and, but do? that, but that's the disillusionment. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, I, I have in the book I talk about, to me, some of the things I'm advocating for feel like some little kid going into this giant river and trying to divert the stream with a little bucket and some sand. Sure. It feels impossible. But I don't know, if you even look at the scripture and, and the martyrdom of those that we read about who wrote us the letters, that there is an impossibility to what I'm advocating for. But ultimately, I have to stand before the Lord and, and say, was there integrity in what I did? I don't, I don't know why people do or don't change, or sometimes I lament, God, you know, why won't you fix this? Or why are people following madness? But I can ask myself, was my intention to truly engage in the ministry of reconciliation online? Or did I get caught in something else? Sure. So, so yeah, no matter how you say it, yeah. but I had to do that. Even the radio, you know, I had to, like, for instance, here's an example. Uh, I have opinions about everything. I'm a very opinionated person. But when I share an opinion about another person, I try to do it as if that person is in the room with mm. me. Uh, that changes everything. And even if it's a celebrity, I did this with my radio show. I, you know, if Britney Spears does something that's in the news, I want to talk about her life as if she was in the room. If I would see her response, if she had the ability to reach across the desk and punch me, whatever, you know, or sure. lately in the news, slap me, right? That reality uh, is, is when you do that, it changes how you communicate online and suddenly you become very different than those around you. So if I talk about a politician, if I talk about people who love that politician, I still need to talk in a way of accountability of how I treat that person in our church. They might still get angry. They might still leave, but at least I know I tried my best to love them. Well, Doug, you also talk about the difference between trying to, trying to craft a better argument and a better argument so that you can get your information across as your motive versus building a relationship with the people that are going to read what you've written. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, yeah. so well, the information, information age, sharing yeah. versus relationship building. Yeah. By the way, as I interrupt you, you know, I'm going to say you should listen more, you know, so what am I saying here in the sense of, but pastors, we all run into this problem. And I think men tend to run into this more because in the history, we've just kind of been able to say whatever we want. Other people can listen. But I remember, you know, even when I first got married and I remember my wife was trying to make a pie for me because we were just kind of playing adult. We didn't know what we were doing and she was struggling to get the pie crust on and I worked as a cook. So I came in after she'd struggled for an hour or something and I said, oh, here's how you do it. Rolled it out really quickly and fixed it. And then she just went into tears and she, she left the room and she never made me a pie again. <laughs> and I, you know, and I suddenly realized, oh, this isn't just about having the right answers, right? 
And we know this to be true. Like people can even sell, tell us true stuff. And if we don't think they love us, we don't listen. Like if someone gives you parenting advice in the grocery store and you don't know them, we're defensive to that reality. So that issue of taking time to build relationship, and some people don't want to do that. That's fine. But to me, I want my first interaction and my last interaction with someone to be the goal was to be reconciling. And that means maybe saying, hey, thanks for sharing that. I don't agree with that, but I'd like to hear more. But in the immediacy of the internet, we want to get it all done in that first argument. You know, We want to argue our point and let them know we're right. And here's the big issue why I think we're doing this. And I'm, I'm hoping people read the book just for this. Something's changed in our culture. The strength of the internet is we can have more relationships with more people than ever before. That is also the weakness of the internet. Mm. Because when we had less access to relationships, we had to learn how to reconcile and preserve those relationships. So think in the olden days before the car, like how many people would someone come into contact with before they had a car? Basically within walking distance, there's maybe one or two churches as an option. And then there's the neighbors that are around them. So what did people have to learn to do? You have to learn to get along with your neighbors and to get along in your church, because if you don't, there's no one to talk to. There's no other church to go to online. There's no other information to get. And we we sometimes idealize that. Like in the olden days, they did a great job and now we're all wicked. No, they weren't less wicked in the olden days. They had to do this. And there was problems with that where a controlling neighbor could, could control everyone because they couldn't go anywhere else. So the strength is praise God. We have more relationships. We can break past the controlling terrible people. But now we're not learning how to go through conflicts together. I've seen this with progressive groups and conservative groups. So progressive groups leave these conservative groups and they don't like the legalism and they don't like the theology. And then they unite around the fact that we're not like those groups we were raised in. But what's happening to those progressive groups, which are often young Christians, a conflict occurs in that group and then that group fractures. And so we're seeing fracture after fracture because we're not learning how to do the difficult stuff of reconciliation because we don't have to. We can just go on to another person. So this is the strength of the internet and it's the weakness of the internet. And I want us to look at both of those realities uh, to celebrate the relationships, but also to say, if we're not intentional on going through conflicts, we're just going to unite with people as much as we agree with them. And that is a problem. Doug, I wish that we had had this conversation four or five years ago. You you were probably working on the book back then, doing some uh, research <laughs> and things like that. I know it takes a long time for a book to uh, come to fruition and come out, but I think four or five years ago, I was I was convinced of the need to be online, and I think I was convinced of the need for um, pastors to, uh, you know, create space on the internet for um, these conversations to happen via you know social media specifically. Um, and then I think over the ensuing five years of my life, I just I just feel like I ran against wall after wall after wall to the point where I don't, I'm not sure anymore if I would say pastors need to be online or not. I'm not sure if I would say there's a benefit to um, being active on social media uh, at all. I I'm, I just have had too many um, circular conversations that didn't go anywhere or, or upset someone mm. or was upset myself um, to this, get to this place where I just, I, I just don't know. Um, what do you what do you say to that? 
Well, I, one, every person has to deal with their own mental health and you only have so much energy and you have to figure out where best to use that energy. Mm -hmm. So yeah. uh, again, some people might need to limit that immensely. What I would say about what's the strength of being online is the most important conversations of our time are happening online. And I want Christians to be a part of it with a redemptive dialogue that looks different than the rest of the world. Also, uh, I think for me, uh, the ability to opt out of some of these discussions is an issue of privilege, that ultimately these mm. things don't really impact yeah. me. So I want to make sure that I'm listening to the voices that are loud online, particularly if it's they're of a different race or ethnicity or economic status or even faith than me. I like the fact that I am far more diverse online than our churches in person. Now, I want our church to be more diverse. There's all kinds, of, you know, there's whole topics on why churches are diverse or not sure. diverse. But the reality is, I have far more uh, friends online of different uh, ethnicities, of different races. Uh, and then I love that just for me alone, it gives me a bigger perspective of what the church actually is than my little insular, you know, reality. Mm -hmm. So I use online community to try to build a more diverse community. So people who are conservative and progressive, uh, younger and older. And to me, I feel like that helps me more understand what's happening in the world and, and live in this moment versus just kind of live within my generational walls or my you know, environmental walls or, so that's why I do it. But honestly, there's some days where I'm just, <laughs> you know, just leave that room. You open the door to social media and there's just chaos yes, and you just close yes, the yes. door. <laughs> you go somewhere else, right? You know? But it sounds like, Doug, you're talking about you as Doug and not necessarily you speaking out of the seat as the leader of your church. Yeah. Well, right? I think, yeah, that's huge, right? And I, I don't think... I'm sorry, I interrupt you in this, but I think you have to be a real person online. I don't enjoy Christians who brand themselves online, who try to create a persona. I, I want people just to know me. And one of the things I do online is I minister to hurting pastors. And so I share my hurts. I, I tweet on Monday, like today's Monday, and I pastor on Sunday. I normally take Mondays off. Guess what happens on Mondays? I want to quit. I want to give up. And so I just tweet that. I share it. Like, ah, I feel like giving up today. Now, for me, that's not the tip of the iceberg. I'm not trying to get free counseling or something. I just want people to know they're not alone. So I'll take a hit by that. When I say positive things about pastors or I talk about hurting pastors, people will tell me about all the terrible pastors they are there are in the world, and I get that. But I love doing that. So I know I can encourage another pastor by just saying, you know, I struggle with these highs and lows. I get depressed uh, on Mondays. I'm struggling with our church's decline through COVID. I'm angry at pastors that I saw make decisions that I thought were selfish. I feel more alienated than ever before. Well, I share that like I'm sharing it with you because I know there's other people who just don't feel alone because of that. It gives them permission that it's not wrong that they feel that way. And so often pastors just share what the, it's the testimony, it's the, the miracle story. I want to just share where I'm at when I'm at that, not to try to get people to change me. I mean, certainly minister to me, but to create a real space. I think if I do that, then they will listen to me as a pastor, as whatever well, authority have your I have. own church people responded to that? You know, uh, our church is, you know, we planted it mm, 23 years ago, and they pretty much know who I am. I'm a pretty unfiltered person. They don't oh, interact like, with me. Like, oh, there goes Pastor Doug again. <laughs> yeah. You know, they don't interact with me a lot <laughs> online. You know, it's, that's a different world. Like some do. 
and some don't. But I faced the same things where I thought our church was on a certain page. And with the Trump era and with COVID and masks, I mean, we were very, we we took very strong precautions, followed uh, regulations, believed we were supposed to serve others. Uh, we don't believe in conspiracy theories, and or at least I thought we didn't. But I was amazed at how many people within my church still were being influenced more by Tucker Carlson than they were by the pastors in their life. And so I've dealt with a little bit of that alienation. It wasn't a lot of people, but enough people that made me question, wow, you know, what, what do I need to be preaching on here and teaching on? And what kind of authority do I have as a leader in this church? That resonates deeply, Doug. I think that so many pastors listening right now hear you say what you just said uh, and feel that deep in their bones. And that that's really the rub, man, isn't it? That um, we we get this this small time on Sundays. And then uh, we get social media to influence yeah. people. And if we do, if we have one perceived misstep on social media, then we lose the opportunity that we had on Sunday in the first place, right? Like you'll have people leave yeah. your church if you just talk about QAnon being not real, you know, like almost every pastor listening has experienced that. I'm sure of it. I'm sure of it. Um, yeah. And yeah. It, it, that's just a bizarre moment uh, that we are occupying. And I don't like to do woe is me for pastors. We live, I think, blessed lives. Uh, but it is a uniquely difficult moment. Um, so how how has it gone for you trying to lead with this you know, perspective of reconciliation? When you do talk about things like conspiracy theories, when you do talk about things like being COVID safe, ha- have you noticed that even people who disagree with you are sticking around for a respectful conversation. I mean, what, what is that going like? Well, one of the things with ministry is we need to let people manage expectations. I believe in God. I have faith. I preach a, trend, a trans- transformative gospel. But I've met very few people who are willing to actually repent and turn and change. Mm. And we need to talk about that. Because pastors go in with this naivete that I'm just going to be different than all those other pastors. And frankly, people even left the church. They're like, you know, I don't go to the church anymore because my pastor was this way. And maybe it was a terrible pastor. And if the church was this way, I'd go. And I just want to politely say, I don't think so, really. I I just, people are really messed up. Mm. And pastors are just people. And some of them are terrible people. And some are trying really hard. You know, Dude, that sounds like something people. I would say, Doug. I love that. That's exactly yeah. right. Pastors are people. Some are terrible people. Some are trying really hard. <laughs> it's just this one it is. That's perfect. Yes. Yes. Yeah. But, you know, how do we deal with that? Like, and it's my argument with the Lord because I believe I'm preaching and teaching something that brings life. And I actually have some fruit in that. You know, I have a good marriage and good family. I'm not trying to judge people who struggle in their families, but I just realize it's not attractive to people. They just want something else. Like, this book is not popular posting piece. I feel like it'd be more popular if I wrote a book about what's wrong with them. The most popular books right now are about what's wrong with evangelicals. Not like they're bad books, you know. What's we like to talk about what's wrong with them and what they need to do better and how the world's falling apart and but for me the most dangerous person in my life is me. It's the only one I really have control over, you know, how much control do I have? So I want to write and produce content that has people turn inward, not in self-hate. But just search my heart, Lord. You know, if I'm in the center of your grace and I'm not going to fall out of your favor, 
then I can look at the wickedness of my life and I can look at the sin. So the goal of a book like this is to free people, to free people from the bondages of sin, to free them to communicate online in a way that represents what they really believe. And, you know, how do I deal with this fact that people won't apologize, won't repent? I keep preaching and teaching and believing that the truth is still the truth, but it is hard. It is just, I think I've become more direct now where I just stand in front of the church and say, I just need to let you guys know this. We're not a conspiracy church. Mm. Uh, We believe in science. Uh, We're not uh, partisan. We have strong opinions, but we believe in reconciliation and love. And if that's something that you do, there's plenty of churches that do that. And we just don't want to be another. And I'll just say that because there are, and there's plenty of places they can go, but I don't want to waste the last how many years of my life appeasing people who won't change when the crisis has come. And I think that's what we saw. A lot of us were kind of appeasing people, you know, trying to help them on the edges. And then that stuff came right into the center of the church. It didn't stay on the perimeters. It came right to the altar. And so I want to make sure people know, no, we accept you. We love you. But we're not going to tolerate racism in this church. We're not going to tolerate uh, a devouring spirit. So this has to be a place where something better rises up than what we're seeing in so much of our culture. Mm. And I got a tiny church because of it. You know, so I don't know. I don't know what that means. I don't know. But I'm just going to be a fool. I don't. I'm just going to stand before the Lord and say I tried. It's like Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, right? Abednego. I'm just. I'll stand before, like, I believe, Lord, you'll, you know, it's not a fiery furnace, right? Pastors, we're not facing that kind of persecution as Americans. Right. But even if it doesn't work out, I'm just not going to bow down. I just, I want to stand before the Lord and say, I didn't bow down. I mean, it's on you. Like, I don't mean to be rude, but God, it's on you. You you have to do it because I, I just don't want to bow down to the spirit of this age. Doug, I think you give a good perspective to pastors. And, you know, as you were talking uh, and just as you were finishing, I'm thinking about pastors that... From, that have tiny churches that have their bivocational or home churches, and then I think about pastors that have churches up into the hundreds or maybe the thousands, and the different uh, levels of pressure and the different kinds of things that are brought to bear on those different groups. Yeah, but they're yeah. all pastors, and they all have to stand before the Lord at some point and decide. Uh, the, you know, this is what I'm going to say, and I'm comfortable to stand before God mm. and taking this position and saying this and. What I like about what you said was that you're just very clear, you're very direct, and it leaves it leaves your people not wondering, mm-hmm. you know, wondering what is uh, what's happening or or where, where does my church stand or where does my pastor stand? But it's just very mm-hmm. clear to them. So well, I appreciate that, I really Jeff. Like that. Yeah. By the way, I I remember you from our conference because that's the way you talk. You don't tear down large churches to make room for smaller churches. Very similar to Carl Vader's. That it's just what have we been called to do, and let's do it with integrity. And I really appreciate that about you. Yeah. Well, because I mean, I'm just pragmatic. It's a lot easier <laughs> to live that way. And if I'm not throwing stones at somebody, likely they won't have a, a pocket full of rocks to throw back at me. And I've always told Johnny, it's the low-hanging fruit syndrome. You know, it's just, uh, we could stand all day and talk about people like, uh, what's his name, Driscoll, right, from Mars Hill and and his church. And then, and then while we're at it, the churches are never-ending and the pastors are never-ending. Until they get to my church, then if they start listening to all my messages online, then they're going to have some fodder to pick through and then they can blast me, you know? So yeah, I I appreciate that. And Johnny and I have always adopted that. Well, mostly Johnny has. 
but we've always ad- <laughs> we've always adopted that gracious spirit, and we've never gone after other ministries online because, again, that's the low hanging fruit, and we're all hanging out at the end of the branch at some point. Uh, so, Doug, what's the question that small church pastors are asking right now? Since since I'm I'm generally one of them. I would say 2024 is coming. What kinds of preparations can I be making in my church so that my church family can have a positive witness for Jesus Mm. in the upcoming crazy? We know it's going to be a crazy crazy. election (laughs) cycle because they all are now. So that's that's not a question. It's going to be. So since we know that it's coming, I mean, it's a certainty, what are the types of things we should be doing in our churches and for ourselves in terms of online activity and social media to help us have a positive Well, probably you need to build a bunker and you need to get some supplies and no, um, here, by the way, <laughs> I'm, I'm already way, doing that. I, I think you see this in how I answer your questions. I want to go in a hundred directions. You asked me one question. I spend, you know, 10 minutes talking about 20 different things, but uh, with this concept, I'm, I'm just going to talk. I, I was praying before this podcast. 2024 is a long ways away. Right now, there are pastors who are just barely making it. And we need to acknowledge that. This is not normal. Of the last 20, you know, three years I've been pastoring, I've never experienced anything like I experienced in the last two years. And uh, we're seeing a decline in the church. I think across the board, we're going to see that of a drop, maybe 30, 40%. Now, what is the true church and what has God always seen? We don't know what that is, but the impacts of that, of congregations dropping one third to one half, regardless of what you preached, regardless if you were conservative or progressive, uh, many pastors are just treading water. And I just want to give pastors permission that it's okay to contend for your mental health it's not wrong that you can stand before the church and just say, honestly, I can't plan some big outreach for next year. I can't do some big program that we're going to you know, start in the fall or a big VBS that reaches our community. I can just bring you daily bread. I've studied the word. I've brought to you as best as I can the word of the Lord. I'm available to talk with you and to minister with you and to encourage one another but that's where I'm at. Now, some people can't do that in their churches because they get fired. Their polity doesn't allow it. My polity does allow it. So that's what I've told our church. We were able to save some money during uh, COVID uh, because we couldn't rent any facility because we're still set up teardown. uh, And we were just online. But coming back, I had this council meeting where we need to know what we're going to do with this money and do we do a building project and all this kind of vision stuff. And then the next month we met and I said to the council, I have to be honest, I do not have energy for any of that. I feel like quitting. I know I'm not going to quit, but that's what I feel like. I feel like I don't have any energy left to give. I feel like a failure. I'm angry with God and I'm angry with myself, but I love God. And, and you know, I give him all these conflicted things. And they're used to me talking that way. And I said, I just believe God has enough grace, enough love, enough provision for today. So I would tell pastors, your ability to handle 2024 will have a lot to do with your own mental health, spiritual health, physical well-being. If you're not in a good place, then you're going to become reactive. And I often think that's what happens with pastors is we're reactive because we're already hurting, we're already upset, 
and then we take it out. It's misdirected anger. Isn't social media anything? And one of the things, it's misdirected anger. I'm angry at the things out of my control. So I think I have some control by arguing with this person about a specific topic. So honestly, that's how we prepare ourselves. Obviously, I think this book helps people. I'm going to promote it because it's a part of my life and a part of you know the values I have. We need to see how social media is you know, influencing our divisiveness. And I just barely touched on some of this. And then say, Lord, can you show me? Like, here's a simple thing for everyone here. And pastors will love this because it's so pastorly in this sense. I'm going to give the old pastor line. Uh, If you died today, right? Every pastor does that. If you died today. Don't we love doing that one? Like, if you died today. Okay. Well, everybody listening, if you died today and I did your funeral, I don't want to do your funeral, by the way, because I'm just, I don't. So maybe someone else does your funeral because I'm just busy, right? You know, overwhelmed. I don't need to Dad, do a funeral. But if a someone did- don't be doing funerals right now, man. <laughs> right, Jeff right. can do the funeral. If it's fine. Okay, I won't. That's right. Jeff's going to do your funeral. Now, if Jeff read all your last tweets or all your last <laughs> Facebook posts of your last two weeks, would you be embarrassed? Would it express who you are? Or would it only express a part of you? Would he just read political tweet after political tweet after political tweet? Now, there's nothing wrong with those tweets if the rest of you is seen, but are people truly seeing you as a real person online, or have you just become a partisan hack, or have you become someone who just talks about trending topics? Today is Will Smith, tomorrow will be what other celebrity is out there, or has God set the agenda of your life where people will be able to see the passion of who you are, the heart of you, why you were created, why you went into ministry, what life is about to you, and if they're not seeing it online, then you got to take a break re-inventory your life, reset, and do something better. Dang, man. I would I would ask for a final word, but I that's like it, that. man. That's What's good. the point of asking for a word after that? Um, I think that's perfect, Doug. I think that is very, very helpful. That's very helpful. <laughs> my final word is I have oh. more to say. So that, put that on my tombstone. There you go. There you go. My final word. <laughs> so the, the book is called Posting Peace, Why Social Media Divides Us and What We Can Do About It. It's an InterVarsity Press book, IVP Press, and uh, so this is, uh, Doug, this is not a self-published book. It is not. Someone took a risk on me, so that was pretty cool. It's certainly timely, and I do like the fact that you said, you know, you're not there to tell people what to do. You're giving them some things to think about, and then with the information that you're putting in the hopper and through your book, you're letting them decide, okay, now how will this impact how I manage social media in my sphere and in my hey, life? Hey, hey, so Jeff, Jeff and Johnny, I, you can edit this out, but I just, I know you guys have been doing this for a while. I I, I don't listen to, uh, you know, many of your podcasts. Sorry, I don't listen to podcasts in general. But here, no, I want you to hear this. You've been doing this for a while, and I do know the kind of fatigue that can set in when you do something for a long time, and then even trying to assess the value of it, the analytics of it. I want you to know that what you do has tremendous value, and you're not going to be able to assess it. You're just never going to know. Even for me today, it might just be that you encouraged me on a Monday, and that has value because I speak to hundreds of people, and your ability to encourage me encourages others. So just remember that this is good work, what you're doing. It has value, whether or not the analytics always show it. Well, thanks, Doug. We actually, Doug, we took a break in 2021 for about eight months. And it's whether, I didn't like it, but Mm -hmm. I think it's probably what we both needed because we restarted in January to a weekly podcast. And I have found great energy Mm -hmm. 
to do mm-hmm. this uh, this year and a lot of passion around it because because I believe ex- exactly what you just said that we are we we are made but I think everybody can make a yeah. difference the way God has designed them to make a difference. We've got a pastor coming up from Missouri tomorrow to our church to to visit and to hang out for just a little bit. And he is the pastor of a family in our church who goes to their summer home every summer in Missouri, and they go to this church. So my associate pastor has gotten connected with him because he goes down and uses that summer home once in a while. So <laughs> my associate told me this morning, yeah, he's coming up. He's he's still amazed by the fact that I get to work with the with the two hundred churches oh my guy, gosh. and uh, he just thinks that's the coolest <laughs> thing. And and he joked, you know, Pastor Bo joked about the fact that you know he doesn't realize it's really not that big of a deal. And I I leaned over and I said, No, Bo, it, it really is a big, is deal, a big yeah. deal. You just haven't that's figured right. it out that's yet. Right. <laughs> he's only been with me four and a half yeah. years, right? But you know, you don't have to be a big deal. In order to make a big difference, yeah, I can I can attest and to that. <laughs> we believe that, yeah, right. We believe that. We believe that. So, and that's kind of Johnny. That's been that's been our message to the our listeners right. for I mean, almost small church for over it's nine years to feel now. Like what you're doing doesn't matter. We just basically try to tell people that it does. Amen. Yeah, it really does. Well, Doug, thanks so much for joining us. Say we really appreciate Anytime, it. Anytime, it was my pleasure. Well, Johnny, what'd you think of Doug Bursch? He gave us some food for thought, huh? Yeah, he did. I think that um, I'm super grateful for all the thought that Doug has put into this topic. And it is a topic that I have probably swung all over the map on in terms of how I think about it and approach it. And it is just a weird part of our lives, isn't it? Social media, it's, it's not... I think what Doug pointed out well was if you're not on it, it doesn't mean that it's not there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like just because yeah. you're not there doesn't mean everybody else isn't there. And so what, how do you want to treat that? Do you, are you okay with the fact that you're not there as a pastor, as a friend? Um, if you are, then, you know, go nuts. I don't think anybody has to be on social media. Um, but if you feel the need to, like Doug talks about, be a you know, beacon of reconciliation and peace in all spheres that you can be in, well, um, you kind of have to be on social media, don't you? Well, I think if anybody has been like intelligent about it, everybody has swung all over the place on social media because, frankly, over the last 15 years, social media has changed so much mm-hmm. and it has changed the dialogue so much that we, I don't know that anybody would be in the same space that they were 15 years ago. I, I was talking to somebody the other day about how Twitter literally used to be, oh, this is what I'm doing right now. Right. <laughs> and I used to check my Twitter feed and I used to stay current on every tweet from the people that I followed because I only yes. followed like 15 or 20 people and they only tweeted, you know, two or three times a day. And it was about what they were doing and what was interesting to them. Right, right, right. Now it's become this whole, you know, corporate conglomerate thing of information, disinformation, false information, real news, fake news, etc. And it's just, it's a monster. So it's not anything like it used to be. And for that matter, not many social media outlets are. No. They've all gone off. And I've often wondered, as humans... Are we really created to use these kinds of tools? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think we are. 
I don't think we can handle them. Obviously, we can't handle them. Obviously. <laughs> we can't, right? I mean, it's pretty obvious. Well, we didn't get into it, Doug, and this is uh, also um, a, an element of all this, is these tools are are run by algorithms that are designed to get you uh, addicted. And they're getting you addicted by making you upset. Like, that's that's how it works. And so... You, every time you log into Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it is, are being fed content. It's not just some like, oh, like that Twitter used to be, you logged on, the person who tweeted most recently was at the top. You scrolled down to see the person who tweeted 10 minutes ago, you were caught up. It's not like that. Now, Twitter's sending you posts by people you've never even heard of before. Facebook is demonstrating, you know, pushing you toward news articles that you have no, no like, affinity for outside of the fact that they know it will get you worked up because they know everything about you. And so the conversations that Doug is talking about on social media are great. Um, but the environment may have become so toxic that they can't even happen there anymore. It's not like an empty room. It's a room full of stink bombs. <laughs> and so, you know, yeah, like right. have fun having a conversation in a room where, you know, skunks have walked around for 10 minutes. Like that's basically what it is. And so how do you become an agent of peace and reconciliation? Man, I, just, I don't know. I don't know. Get the book, I guess. And uh, Doug's got some, at least principles to try to guide you. Well, last night I had an experience that reminded me why I wanted to be a pastor. And I think most mm. of us as pastors, I was looking at my phone and there were some text messages that were going back and forth in a group that I, I didn't pay attention to all day. And so it was like nine o'clock last night. I looked and somebody's mother had died. Mm. And so this, these text messages were going back and forth. And I thought, oh, I feel terrible. And I looked, it was only nine o'clock. So I called this person and we had a conversation. We talked. She told me about her mom and what had been going mm. on. You know how when stuff like that happens, people just want to talk about it, you know? Yes. So she just talked about it and everything. And then. I said, you know, cool. Can, you know, can I pray with you? And she went and got her husband, and we prayed together. And when we were done, she said, you don't know how much this means that you would call. Hmm. And I'm thinking, well, I get to, I'm like, I get to do something All like right. this, right. you know, to bring encouragement to somebody in their greatest hour of need, you know, the day that your mom dies. But it, it, was meant so much to her that I would personally call and we would talk and shed some tears together, you know, and, and that to me, when posting peace, um, not speaking pro or con about social media, the real reconciliation we're going to do as pastors and as believers is what we do with people, with real people in real sure. life. You know, nothing can ever replace that. So, you know, if you've been on social media a lot and you feel like you're getting your message out and your beliefs and convictions are being heard, I just want to ask you, uh, are you also connecting with real people one-on-one? -on -one? Are you caring for and shepherding people? Are you there for them like at the time when they're really hurting? Because when you do that, it's so simple to do, but it's an empathetic, caring gesture. But then you you cement that relationship and you can you can often in doing that i don't know what the word is uh buy so much loyalty from mm. people 
the word isn't bi, and I can't think of the right word, Johnny. Maybe you can think of a better engender, one. Engender, maybe? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. You engender so much loyalty, and you don't do it for that reason, but it's just what happens when you really care about somebody. So What's, that's kind of the other side of social media. Yeah. What's so crazy is how fast you can lose that engendered uh, affection. Well, we're not going to think about that right now because no, we're not. I'm just we're enjoying wrap that. this up on a positive <laughs> note. No, I was going to say via social media, you can lose. Um, I, I, you know, I've experienced that as well. But yeah, it's true, Jeff. We, we got into pastor. Uh, we got into being pastors. I hope if you're listening and you didn't maybe get out. Um, but we got into it to uh, for people, right? Like to love people. Yeah. Yes. Um, and so when we have opportunity to do that, I, I did a funeral uh, a couple weeks ago for an elderly woman. And I thought to myself, this is why I'm a pastor. This And, the, and this is a moment that is very sad and very hard. And yet here I am glad uh, for the role that I get to play. So go out, um, love your people well. If you can use social media to do that, do it. If you're like me and don't know how to shut your mouth sometimes, maybe just take a break, come back to it later. Uh, <laughs> there's no shame in that. And definitely on top of all that, go buy Doug's book, Posting Peace, uh, out wherever books are sold now. So Jeff, this has been a lot of fun. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for setting up this great guest. He had, what a great radio voice that guy had, my gosh. Uh, yeah, he does. And, so, he does. Uh, and we're grateful for you, our, uh, our wonderful listeners. And we'll see you next time on the 200 Churches podcast.